Let's come to the word of God together. Will you turn your Bible with me, please, to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. <clears throat> My name is Stephen. I'm blessed to be the pastor. We love Jesus and love people. And we love the word of God. He instructs us through it. In 2 Kings, we've been looking recently at actually a series on seeking God. And so we've been flip-flopping, if you've noticed, between the Gospel of John and 2 Kings. And we're looking at Elijah and Elisha in First and Second Kings. And then we've been coming back and looking at Jesus and John the Baptist in the Gospel of John. And so next week is Palm Sunday, which is the time that we remember uh, in the church calendar, if you will, that Christ had come back into Jerusalem and everybody waves the palm branches and shouts Hosanna and it's great. And then he comes in Jerusalem and just a week later, they, those same people are shouting in Jerusalem to crucify Jesus. It's an amazing drama that unfolds as we see what God has done and who he is and the greatness of his gospel. Jesus knows as he's going to that, that he is going to suffer the punishment for sin. He's going to Jerusalem to die. And he's told his disciples that that's what his purpose is and that's what he's going to do. He is our redemption. As Mike reminded us this morning, he is our perfect lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we're looking at the prophet Elisha. And the prophet, as we've spoken before, a prophet is a special title. Uh, it means literally mouthpiece. And this is a person who speaks for God. So in the Old Testament especially, and there's prophets in the New Testament too, but in the Old Testament especially, this is God speaking to a person and it's an office. So there are people who do things prophetically and speak what God tells them to do. The Lord can tell even a donkey to speak and can talk. So anybody can speak when God tells them to speak, but a prophet is a person who's been specially called to this office where they are speaking what God tells them to say. The main requirement of a prophet is that they say what God says to say. That's the main key. And not only is that the main key, but also as they are saying what God tells them to say, usually that message is almost always pretty much exclusively return back to the covenant. Now, when I say covenant, I mean return back to relationship with God to do what he's called them to do. So he's made his people. The people are, especially in this time, are wandering all over the place. They have a witch queen who is, she's a mess. The king has... Um, married this woman who's, who's into all kind of craziness, and he himself has given himself over to idol worship instead of worshiping the Lord the way he said to. Um, he has erected these crazy um, poles and altars and all kind of stuff in high places like the high top mountaintops and, and hilltops in order to worship these other gods. The people of Israel have walked into bad things. It's not going well. And so here comes the prophet Elisha, and he's the mouthpiece for God. And the Lord is telling him repeatedly that judgment is coming on the people, and they need to repent of these ways and leave that idolatry behind and come back to God. That's what I mean by return to the covenant. Come back to the relationship that God has made the way he said to do it. Did you know that it's important as, a peop as the people of God that we don't just come to God, we come to God the way he says to come to him, that it's important to him. Uh, imagine for a moment if you are... Like even the passage that Mike read to us this morning. If you're going to do the Passover meal, you had to prepare the meal in this specific way. You had to put the blood on the doorpost this way. Use these herbs. Eat it like this. It was specific in the way God wanted his people to do this special ceremony. God has ways of doing things. Imagine for a moment that you are going to go uh, speak to President Biden today about something important. And he's invited you in. And so you, you go to the White House and you're like, this is awesome. Now you're invited. And so you're like, this is great. 
And as an invited person, you walk through the front door and they're like, hey, welcome. I'm glad you're here to talk to us. And then you just march yourself right into the Oval Office, just putting your hand out like this to say hello. What's going to happen to you? You're going to get tased. Like something bad. It's not going to go well for you if you just run in at the president. Because there's protocols for doing that that the Secret Service have, right? But also just in respect, there's ways to go about this. And yet, many of us think that when we're going to talk to God, man, I got, I'm gonna, I got some questions for this guy. I want to ask him something today. And we think that we can just come straight up to him and just say things. But God has a protocol for us. Who do we go through? It's Jesus, the mediator. He's our one. We're in union with Christ. And that means, ready for this? If you're seated with him in heavenly places, when you speak to God, you're, you're there. Because you're with Christ. Because he is our access to the Father. He's the perfect sacrificial lamb. It's, it's amazing. If none of that makes sense, we'll talk more about it. But in 2 Kings chapter 5, they're in a bad situation. Not only is the nation walking into idolatry and all kinds of things happening that are bad, but also there's a famine in the land. And this famine means that because there's no food around, the people are uh, in trouble and they're literally, literally starving. This is not just four gallon, $4 a gallon gas or $5 a gallon gas or supply issues. There's no food. It's not being produced. It's not raining. Things are happening. And so the people are in a little bit of peril. Not only that, but the people are more or less, even though they're in their own kingdom still, subjugated by bigger nations. So these bigger nations are a constant threat to come. And these bigger nations have much better militaries, much better equipment. The people of Israel are in trouble when it comes to those things. So we're going to pick up the story of what happens with one of the leaders of the military of the Syrian army, who's one of the enemies of Israel, but they kind of have a little peace treaty going, and what happens there. So we're going to read a good bit of Bible here because it's, we have to read the narrative to understand what's going on. So stay with me, and we'll stop and talk about what's happening so we understand. So 2 Kings chapter 5, it starts like this, verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would it that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria? He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, this is the king of Syria, thus, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Now, as we're going to stop, we're going to keep reading here in a minute. This guy Naaman is a big deal. So this guy Naaman is the leader of the army of the greatest military fighting machine the world knows at the time. He's the guy. And what does it say up about him in, here in verse 1? How did he get his favor? How did he get his victory? The Lord gave it to him. Now, that's an interesting thing because this guy is not an Israelite. He's not one of the people of God. He's an idol worshiper. He is subjugating God's own people. But the Lord gives him victory because, ready for this? This passage is telling us that the Lord holds the fate of nations in his hands. And he doesn't just control his own people. So it's not like the Lord is in charge of the church and the rest of the world is just going crazy. The Lord holds world politics in his hands. And he raises up people he wants to raise up. And in this case, he uses Naaman to be this great man of valor. Valor means that he has a great effect upon the enemy. 
That's what the word valor means. Somebody who has a great effect upon the enemy. In this case, the enemy is God's own people. And the Lord is using Naaman because of the idolatry of the Israelites to come against his own people. It's not because God doesn't like his people. It's not because he's forgotten them. He's using this judgment to bring them back to righteousness. And so this is a difficult thing for us, though, to think about because these have dire consequences, don't they? Not only that, but this little girl who says, man, if you just knew the prophet, he could help you. First of all, she's a slave who's been taken away by a military raid. This little girl, to put her in perspective, is somebody who maybe saw her whole family slaughtered and brought into the service of this guy and made to be a servant to the wife. This is not a great situation for her. And yet, seeing the pain that this guy is in, who's a leper, leprosy is a skin disease. This may not be exactly the same thing that we know of as modern-day leprosy, but this, uh, either way, it's some kind of skin malady that's hurting this guy. It's probably really painful. Um, and leprosy, as we know, people lose body parts through leprosy. So this guy could be in a, a really bad way. And so seeing his pain, this little girl says, man, if you just knew the prophet, he could cure you. What an amazing thing to hear. You know, God in this moment is speaking through a little slave girl, nothing person, to speak to the commander of the greatest military in the world. And he takes this news from his wife and runs to the king who's basically leading most of the known world and says, I think I need to go to Israel. Somebody there can help me. The world politics are being shaped by a little girl who is carried away into slavery. So the king says, go, I'm going to send a letter to the king of Israel. Let's pick up again here halfway through verse 5 in this new paragraph. So he went, that's Naaman goes, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothes. Remember, clothes, they have no Walmart. This is a super cheap, you know, I'm just going to buy a pair of sweatpants that's on clearance for $2. So these clothes are ornate, first of all, but also clothes are hard to come by. And if you're not good at making them yourself, then you're in trouble. Verse 6, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking to quarrel with me. What is the king of Israel saying? He's saying, well, how, what am I supposed to do with this guy? First of all, this is Naaman. Everybody knows who Naaman is. Naaman is the greatest warrior general in the world. And he's come, and he's brought all this gold and silver and stuff with him. If you calculate out what this looks like, it's about the common wages of a normal day laborer for 600, days, 600 men's worth, years' worth of their salary. That was weird. Let me say it again. That was this amount of gold and silver and all the stuff they bring is equivalent to 600 normal day laborers' years' salary. So in today, let's say a day laborer doesn't make tons of money, and they make you know, somewhere around $25,000 a year, right? Working day laborer, working at Hardee's, Arby's, White Castle. 
any of those places. So the White Castle worker, let's say they're making $25,000, 600 of them, this is $15 million that he's bringing with him. So he's coming with a $15 million tribute to come find the prophet. And now the king has read this letter, and he says, what am I supposed to do? How can I cure this guy? I can't help this guy. Am I God? I can't do it. What am I supposed to do? And he's brought all this money and stuff. This is the commander of the army. So what will happen if you cross the commander of the army, who's been sent by the king with a letter and $15 million to do something great? He's going to kill you. He's literally going to kill everybody. Because that's what the Syrians do. And he heard about this guy from a slave girl whose family he already killed. This is a scary situation. So scary that the king, upon reading this letter, tears his clothes, which is a sign of grief and sorrow, because he's basically saying, we're dead. We're dead. Let's read on. But when Elisha, verse 8, the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Let's pause for just a second. He tells the king, notice he hears about the king tearing his clothes. And he asks him, why are you lamenting? Why are you grieving in sorrow? Send him to me so that he'll know. Wouldn't you expect him to say that there's a God in Israel? Send him to me. He'll know that the Lord is king. He doesn't say that. He says, send him to me so that he'll know that there's a prophet in Israel who speaks the word of the Lord. Why do you think he's saying that? He's saying that because he's really speaking to the king. Why are you tearing your clothes? Don't you remember? I'm here. The Lord is our God. You should have called for me. I'm going to speak to the Lord. You should have spoken to him. It doesn't say that the king immediately fell on his knees and cried out to God. It says he tore his clothes in grief. You see, the king has put his trust into idols. In fact, he's put his trust into the same idols that Naaman has prayed to every day, day after day, year after year, to try to cleanse himself of this leprosy. Because the king of Israel has taken the Syrian gods and made them his own gods because it was more important to him that he would look acceptable to everybody than to seek the Lord alone the way that God had prescribed. And now, the prophet is reminding him, the Lord still hears us. God still speaks today. Send him to me. So here comes Naaman, verse 10. He's standing at the door of Elisha's house. Notice, too, he's got horses and chariots. Chariots are equivalent to a modern-day tank. So here comes Naaman, the leader of the greatest army in the world, riding on a tank, stopping at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go in the wash and the Jordan, that's the river Jordan, seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry, and he went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me, and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place, and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farapar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could not I wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, 
It is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Let's pause for just a second. So here's Naaman. What does he expect? What would you expect? Especially remember, you're a big deal. You're a big deal. So you come, you're standing on your tank, and you expect this prophet to come out. You've brought $15 million with you, which, by the way, is basically you saying, this is nothing to me. This $15 million is nothing to me. I can make all your wildest dreams come true. Just cleanse me. Let's make it right. And so now the prophet sends a messenger. And Naaman's expectation is this guy's going to come out. He's going to do something like from the Lion King where he breaks open some kind of thing. He's going to have the little deal. He's going to raise you up on the cliff. He's going to yell, ah, no, 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 like the Lion King. And when that happens, God's power is going to come down in some kind of smoke. And then suddenly you're going to be clean. That's what he's expecting. He's expecting some kind of incantation. He's expecting sorcery. That's what he's expecting. Why would he expect that? Because the queen of Israel, she's a sorceress. She's a witch. Because that's how the idol worshipers do it. Because that's what they think is supposed to happen. You know, a lot of Christians think that that's what God will do. If I say the right prayer, if I pray it the right way, if I, maybe if I tear my clothes and show God that I'm really upset about this, then he'll respond to my prayer. Maybe if I offer him the right thing. Lord, I, I promise I'll never miss another summer conference again ever. I will go to every one of them if you just. I'll be, listen, I will volunteer for the nursery with the sticky kids. The sticky ones, I'll, I'll listen, summer conference, I'll do the sticky class. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. But just one time. And then rest, I'll just be in the normal meetings. But if I do that, then you, surely, should do this. But that's what Naaman's expecting. It's a lot of people expect about God. And instead, Elisha, the man of God, who hears from the Lord. So the Lord tells him, send a messenger. So here comes the messenger. Could you imagine being the messenger? Listen, if you're going to think about being in this story who you would be, you're probably the messenger. If you're reading yourself into the story, where am I in this story? You're probably that messenger. Not, uh, nice tank. Uh, I, can you, do you mind pointing at your gun that way? Okay, the prophet says, go wash and you'll be healed. You're the, that's the messenger. That's the message. Can you imagine the faithfulness of that guy? This is the guy who ravages villages. This is the guy who burns cities. This is the guy with $15 million who's ready to do anything. And you're the messenger to walk out there and say something to this guy who's carrying a letter from the greatest king in the world right now? That means if I do anything to this guy, we're all dead. That means if I say something wrong that he doesn't like, we're all dead. And you know what? There's no justice because the king will be like, well, they had it coming. That, I, I'm nothing to these guys. And now I'm going to bring this word. And so Naaman, he's furious. And he turns around in a rage. The rage of this guy has conquered countries. Understand that. This is a mighty man of valor. The things he does has effects on the enemy. He's known as the guy who kills people. And when he turns around in a rage, people respond to that. I remember one time I was, I was in Baghdad, and we had to go to this police station, and we had to do this work. 
And uh, so I'm at the police station, and there were a lot of people, like civilian, regular Baghdad civilians who showed up, a lot, like 3,000 of them. And so it was me, and I had 40 guys with me, and I had one 12-person detachment from another unit, a regular infantry unit. And my guys, were mil we were military police. Military police are, are a different breed because um, at, at the age of 19, they hand you a loaded weapon, and they're like, go patrol the streets, alone, good luck. So there's a lot of, and I'm not, I'm, you know, everybody's good and everybody's smart and all those things, but there are a lot of tests to make sure that kind of a smarter group gets in that group, which they weren't always, God help us, but that's okay. So the military police guys, they think things through a lot is my point. Now the 12 infantrymen that I had with us, um, their whole thing was like, do you want me to run fast or really fast? Like that was their deal. So we're doing this thing, the day's over, we're done, I'm exhausted, everybody's exhausted, 3,500 people out there, uh, we gotta move, like it's time to go. So we're gonna tell everybody this is over, it's time for the day to be done, let's go. And so I tell my guy, <laughs> Sergeant Welch, I'll never forget him, he's great. Sergeant Welch is a warrior, he's great. And I said, Sergeant Welch, grab your squad, follow me, we're gonna tell everybody to leave. And there was a, a long driveway, like imagine from the church building all the way out here to Timberlake. And we gotta tell everybody like, it's time to go, so we're walking down. So I was like, just get behind me in a line and we'll just tell everybody to go. So I start walking, you know, and I'm like, all right, let's go, and I'm getting the stragglers and, I, and I'm getting to the big full bulk of people. And I turn around and my squad's like where the door is here. They're all still like, all right, let's get over here. Here's the plan. Let's think this through. We're going to do this smart. So let's get in there. We're you, smart. Let's be smart. Come on. And all of a sudden, I, you know, I look behind and they're way back there. And I'm like, <sighs> and I suddenly become aware of this presence of these two guys. And there's these two guys. One of them, <laughs> one of them's carrying this big gun. And they come up behind and they're like low like this. And they come up like on the sides. And they're just behind me, like, what, what do you want? What, are we moving them? You want to move them? We're going to move them? I'll move them. You want me to move them? Here we go. You boom! And they just, I start kicking people. And I was like, holy moly. These two guys, the infantrymen saw me, and they're like, the lieutenant needs someone. That's me. Let's go. Go fast. Let's go. And they were, I mean, it was unbelievable. It was like I had two Rottweilers and just like, go. And they just, 3,500 3, people were like, oh, okay, okay. Okay, oh God, I'm going. It was, and I got, we were like 200, we were like halfway down this huge group, you know, halfway down the driveway, I turned around my guys, all right, why aren't you in line? Let's get in line. We're still way back there. These two guys, they were unbelievable. It was awesome. It was awesome. This is, listen, I'm telling you right now, Naaman surrounds himself by, with Rottweilers. If he's in a rage, I guarantee you, there are 50 guys just ready to go. There are 50 guys just, are we gonna burn down this house? I'll burn down the house. That's, this is what, this is the Syrian army. This is the commander. He doesn't walk around with the smart guys. He walks around with the Green Berets that'll do anything. He walks around with the Navy SEALs and those Navy SEALs are watching like, okay, now we're, I was wondering what we're doing here with the tanks, but this is gonna be awesome. Like that's what, they're, that's what they think. And one of the servants comes up to Naaman's, my father, why would he call him my father? Because the guy's in a rage. You don't walk up to the guy in the rage and be like, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, just a question for you. He comes up, oh, my father, uh, he's, this guy, he'll kill everybody. So he comes up, my father, did, did, didn't he say though, if you just do it, you'll get cleansed? I mean, it's, it's worth a shot. It's worth a shot. 
Verse 14, so he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. Isn't it funny that Elisha told him to go wash and he just dips himself? I can just see him like, this is so stupid. Stupidest river, stupidest Israel. We're going to burn that house down. That's probably what he's doing. Third time, fourth time, fifth time, dipping himself. Dipping himself. Sixth time, seventh time. According to the word of the man of God, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and they came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. I take everything, 15 million, whatever, it's yours. I know that there's no God but your God. Take all of it, is what he says. But he said, that's Elisha, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. Then he urged him and said to him, take it. But he refused. Why would Elisha refuse? It's not a monetary thing. But also, understand Naaman, he's a big deal. He's a big deal. But he's also, yeah. He just said what God said to say. That's right. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Malachi? Well done. So he hears this word. Somebody's got their thing going. It's okay. It's a great, it's awesome. I like that you're doing using the Bible app. It's okay. Come here, I'll help you. Is it yours? I'll help you. It's okay. Vivian, you're the best. It's great. No. Listen. Said, "Am I God to kill?" This is the ESV Bible app. It's free, and you should totally get it because it's awesome. Okay. Here you go. It also says publisher clearinghouse is coming. So. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Listen, cell phones are a blessing and not a blessing, aren't they? Vivian, you're the best. You are. Listen, Vivian. Listen, hey, if you ever need somebody to pray for you, Vivian is a woman of prayer. Jean and Vivian will hold you up. I'm telling you right now. Amen for that. Okay, so... Yes, he's not done anything. What did the prophet do? Did he do an incantation? Did he do sorcery? He just sent a messenger. Because Naaman is the commander of the army. He's a big deal. But who does he work for? He works for the king of Syria, who's the greatest guy anywhere. And what the king of Syria says is what goes. And so he understands what it means to be under authority and under the authority of somebody who's a bigger deal than you. And so now, Elisha is basically using an, an illustration, a living example, to say, just like you represent the king, 
I represent a greater king. And I don't need your $15 million because my king owns everything. My king owns you. My king sent a little girl to you to cleanse you of your leprosy. And now as you look at your skin like the skin of a little child, can you help but think, I have no power like this king. So I don't need your money. Take it and go and be blessed. Because my God holds all things in his hand. And oh, king of Israel, stop the idol worship. If God can even cleanse Naaman, what do you, don't you see the example that we're doing right now for the nation? Return nation to our heart of worship for God purely because he can cleanse us. He can take our leprosy, which, by the way, leprosy means in this time period that you are not allowed to come worship God. You are excluded from worship. You cannot come before him. You're unclean. So think of unclean not always in a moral sense. We usually think of it in a moral sense, like you failed. Sometimes unclean is not a failure, but it's like coming to meet the president. You don't come meet the president wearing sweatpants from Walmart on clearance. You just don't, right? There's a way to do it. Cleanliness is like that. So the cleanliness laws uh, that are in play here are not necessarily that somebody is morally wrong, although they will become unclean if they sin. But it's more like if you want to have access here, if you want to come in, if you want to come worship God the way that God says to, you need to come clothed like this. And so Naaman, in his leprosy, could never come before God. Not only that, he's in a foreign people who doesn't know God. He's worshiping idols. And instead now he's encountering the real living God who's over all things. And the real living God who not only is over all things, but has even given Nahum the success that he's had, which is incredible. And so now he's made clean to be able to worship. And he's declaring there is no God but your God. And Elisha won't take any of the gifts. So verse 17, then Nahum said, if you won't take them, if not, Please let there be given to your servant two mules load of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes back to the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter, he said. Go in peace. What's he talking about? He's number two in charge. He's going back to the king of Syria they, got, they worship all their gods. He can't not be around. But he says, let me take some, some dirt from here. When I take that dirt, I'm going to bring it back, and I'm going to bake it into bricks, and I'm going to make an altar, and I'll sacrifice on your dirt from this land to the God of Israel because I know that he's the only God. But I have to do all my duties in the palace. And in the palace, there's idols everywhere, and there's stuff everywhere, and I got to bow before the king, and they think he's a god. And when I bow before him in my heart, I'm going to say, I know that he's not the Lord, but I'm bowing myself down. I have to. Will you pardon me? I'll only sacrifice to the living God. But will you pardon me because I have to go back? And what does Elisha say? Go in peace. That's incredible. You know, that doesn't apply to you today. And I'm saying that because this is a different time. And this time, this guy has just now met the Lord God, and he's going back, and the Lord is being so merciful to him. But you are filled with the Lord God. Did you know that the Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that he resides in you? 
So how can you go into any other temple and bow the knee to anything if he is with you? You can't do it. There's no way. It's impossible. But God in his mercy, look how kind he is to this guy. And he's doing this because this guy is outside of the people of God. But I think he's in his heart. He's, he believes. How incredible. Something really foolish will happen here in just a moment. Which I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna let you read it yourself for the sake of time. But the, uh, the servant of Elisha sees all this happening. Maybe, and it doesn't say, maybe he was the one who stood there and gave the message. I don't know. But he's the prophet's servant, and he sees that Elisha has just turned down $15 million. Remember, what's the context? Famine in the land. Things are not going well. And now this foreigner has come. He has $15 million for us. And you're saying, I don't want it? What are you doing? So Naaman leaves with all his caravan. He takes the earth with him. He goes away, starts going, and this servant sees him go. And he says, this is, I, we got to do something. So he runs after him and he says, oh, hey, uh, last minute. Elisha says, uh, just give me, you know, just give me a couple hundred thousand dollars. No big deal. So I can help people. It's for charity. And the guy's like, oh, sure, whatever, anything. I'll give you anything. And so the servant takes the money. And he goes and hides it. He comes back to Elisha. And Elisha says, where did you go? He says, oh, no, nowhere. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't, I didn't go anywhere. He says, I know exactly where you went. He says, because you took that money, because you sided with the popular opinion that it would be better to have the riches of this world rather than serve God, name his leprosy will be on you and your descendants forever. And suddenly his skin turns white like ash. And the leprosy of Naaman comes on the servant of the prophet. It's powerful. Why would that happen? Because this is a message. It's a reminder. Where is your allegiance? The king of Israel has torn his clothes because in grief, he has gave, given allegiance already to the king of Syria. They've made an uneasy treaty. And he's reaped benefits of money and semi-protection and things are okay, but semi-protection where families are being slaughtered and little girls are taken away into slavery is not real protection. And he thinks the status quo is okay and that he can stay in those things. But the reality is it's not okay. And now the king comes and gives this letter and he tears his clothes because the status quo is being changed. Then the man of God stands up and Naaman is healed and it's incredible and it's miraculous and we see God's power and the same question stands, where is your allegiance? Because now for $15 million on the line during a famine, you can just say, yeah, you're welcome. I did that for you. But instead, Elisha says, the Lord God did it, that you would know that he is the Lord over all the earth, not just Israel. But the servant gives himself into the status quo to run back because his allegiance is not with the word of God. His allegiance is with the money. And he bears the marks on it, on his body. What an incredible time. You know, one week from now, we're going to celebrate the Palm Sunday when Jesus returns to Jerusalem. And I told you from the beginning, he goes there to die. Could you imagine being a disciple right now, a week before Palm Sunday, at this time, at point in the timeline, and your master, Jesus, who you've seen raise people from the dead, feed multitudes, cast out demons, says to you, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Where is your allegiance? Because it would be a lot easier to run away. 
it would be a lot easier to abandon. In fact, most of the disciples abandoned Jesus. And then, in a shocking way, which we'll talk about next week, all the townspeople come out shouting Hosanna and waving palm branches. It's amazing. It's, it's so hypocritical, really. All the people who abandon him. But that question here for the people of Israel, really for the messenger and for the servants, where does your allegiance lie? That's really the question, and it will be resounded again with Jesus. And as we come to Jesus and find out that he will go to the cross and he will die for us and he will take the punishment of sin and he will rise again and he will be victorious and he's the resurrected one. And he's the king of kings. And the same God who cleansed Nahum of his leprosy is the same God who will sacrifice for us and rise again. And in that time too, again, this question is going to come. Where is your allegiance? Did you know that it's possible to believe in God and have your allegiance with some kind of sorcery incantation. That if you do things right, God's going to hear you. Did you know it's possible to believe in God, but have your, all of your allegiance built into parents who taught you about God, or a great preacher who told you about God, or somebody who discipled you into God, but you never really knew him yourself? Did you know that it's possible to put your allegiance in things and status and tanks and $15 million worth of stuff and who you think you are? not realizing that it's only God who can save. Where is your allegiance? Today, this question is so important because as we think about God and all that he's done, the culture itself is going to press you and press you and press you and press you that God does not have a mouthpiece anymore, that he doesn't speak, that he doesn't do anything, that he's abandoned us, and the reality is he has not. He has kept us pure. He has made us his, and he has made you a messenger for him. He's filled you with his Holy Spirit. He's made you a temple. And now he's commanded you to stand up and say what the Bible says and declare the glory of Jesus. And the pressure to hold that back is immense. And at the end of the day, the big question is, where is our allegiance? Is it to the risen King and the Lord Almighty? Or is it to our own image? Or is it to how we think we can get things done? I'm using this sermon really to set us up because it's amazing how God gives us this impression as we look at the word, even from 2 Kings, to then see what it looks like when God's king, the real king of Israel, comes into Jerusalem, which we're going to talk about next week. A lot of the things we'll talk about over the next two, three weeks are all kind of leading up to the resurrection, which is awesome. But at this point in the story, too, you've got to remember, there's this lingering unsureness of what's going to happen. And I'm saying for the people in the word. We have surety now because we know God, don't we? And the end of the story is Jesus dies, he rises again. But all through these stories, there's this lingering question. Where is your allegiance? Has God forgotten us? What's happened? And I'm asking you to rest in that in the sense of we remember Jesus. But also as we come into this time of remembering now, Palm Sunday and then Good Friday and then Easter, put yourself in the story and remember God is faithful even when it feels like he isn't. He's faithful all the time. What should you get out of this sermon? Get this one thing. The Lord is the restorer of all things. He holds the whole world and your life in his hands. He is our salvation, no incantation. He is our life, our hope, and our source, and there's nothing that we can do but come to him and know that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And know also that he has called you to be his messenger, to say his word, and equips us to do it. We'll talk more about what that means in the next three weeks. Good? All right, praise the Lord. Let's, let me pray for you, and then we're going to be dismissed. Father, thank you that you are so good.
Lord, as we look at this story with Nahum, Nahum, Lord, we, Naaman, Lord, we just are in, in awe of your grace. We're in awe of how you can use words to heal somebody. Lord, we're in awe of how great and mighty and powerful you are. And Father, I ask you that, especially in these next couple weeks, as we think about the death and resurrection of your son, Lord, help us to be in awe of you in everything that we do. Lord, fill our mouths that we would be good messengers. And help us, Lord, to have pure allegiance to you, our only king. Lord, there is no other way by which we are saved but you. And so we look to you, we praise you, and we thank you because you are God over all things. Lord, I pray a blessing on everyone here and everyone listening, that they would know you, see you, and serve you. Let the great calling of the Father, let the great rule of the Son, and let the Holy Spirit's power fill you as you go from this place and serve him this week. God bless you. Have a great day. We're dismissed.